Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Daggett, and I'm very happy to have all of you with us, as I always am, for this edition of Political Rewind. You know, it's become a tradition, an annual tradition on this show, uh, usually at the very start of a legislative session, excuse me, uh, to have the Speaker of the House, David Ralston, uh, talk with us. And we're going to talk with Speaker Ralston today, Jim Galloway, a former political Columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is going to join me for that conversation. Uh, But Speaker Ralston, we're very happy to have you with us. And I think I'm right that you're basically in your 30th year of serving in the Georgia General Assembly. You started, I think, in the, what, 92 session. You were elected to the uh, state Senate and then have served, you served in the House Fannin, Gilmer, a portion of Dawson counties in uh, the late 90s, and uh, except for a run at one point for attorney general, you've been there straight through, right? Well, um, uh, 26 years to be exact, if anybody's counting. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not quite to 30 yet, uh, but uh, yeah, I was six years in the Senate back in the 90s, and I came to the House and uh, elected in O2 and and been here since. Okay, well, I'm not trying to age you, uh, Mr. Speaker. So thank you <laughs> for that. Uh, <laughs> you're going to get do enough aging during this session, I suspect. Jim Galloway, thank you for being here uh, with us today as well. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. I'm it's ha- I'm happy to be here. Uh, this is this, yeah. Well, this you and I will exchange opportunities. Yeah, it's always fun to have uh, Speaker Ralston on. And you and I will go back and forth and and ask questions of the Speaker. And Mr. Speaker, I would like to start with what I think is the most obviously political question that uh, you'll probably be asked during this show. Um, But but a lot of the conversation will flow out of uh, what you have to say about this. On the day of the State of the State speech, uh, I don't have the exact transcript in front of me, but I think it's fair to say that your introduction of Governor Kemp was about as fusive as it could possibly have been. You complimented him on the great job you said he has done during his tenure as governor, and you said something to the effect of, I can't imagine how anyone could do it better. Should we interpret that as your first nod toward endorsing Brian Kemp in his primary campaign against David Perdue? Well, you know, endorsements are not really on my mind right now. Um, uh, you know, I do think Governor Kemp has done a, uh, uh, a very good job on, on managing through uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, being um, – minimizing the amount of time that we as a state were locked down, um, you know, emphasizing getting businesses reopened and kids back in school. Um, so, um, 
you know, he that was uh that was a tough tough time as as you guys will remember. And uh, I thought he handled that uh, quite well. Um and um you know, he's had other challenges and you know, let's let's be candid. Uh, one of the challenges that he's had to deal with is this um sort of um uh looming dark cloud of uh uh of the former president's uh uh, you know, repeated rhetoric uh, about him, and and you know that's um, that, that that can't make doing the job any easier. So, given that, and given that David Perdue has been one of the uh, most prominent supporters of what's come to be known as the big lie, uh, do you wish David Perdue has uh, had stayed out of this race? Has he? Is he causing trouble for Republicans by entering this contest? Well, it's a free country, and I mean, he's he's free to run as as is any Georgian. Um, I'm, I'm 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 trying to understand his rationale. Um, you know, a rationale that says, you know, we're divided, and I'm going to unify us by further dividing us. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure that there is a deep meaning there that I'm not grasping yet, um, but um, so I'm 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 trying to get um, I'm trying to get my brain wrapped around uh, uh, what the rationale is for running. Uh, look, I mean, you, you know, we, we we've talked about this before. We're in a very competitive political environment in Georgia. I don't remember an environment in my time here. Um, this competitive between the two parties. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't even think, uh, and I would defer to both of you and particularly Galloway, who was covering, uh, 02 politics and the, the period that right after that, uh, you know, first of all, it was a much less to- toxic environment, uh, nationally. And, uh, you know, it kind of, uh, kind of hit us uh, quickly, and then it was uh, gone, and, and so, uh, but, you know, we're in a, um, uh, we're in a, we're in a toxic environment now, and, and uh, I think we have to uh, understand that that's a, a part of where we are, but at the, at the end of the day, somebody's going to be nominated by the Republican Party in May. Uh, or if there's a runoff, I guess June, uh, July, and then they're going to run against Stacey Abrams in November. Uh, so the other question I would have is, how does a part a primary challenge help us as a party unify, conserve resources, uh, and do all the things that we need to do to get ready for what will be uh, a very challenging race in November? So those are a couple of concerns that I have about uh, his campaign. Uh, Mr. Speaker. Now, having said all of that, Bill, I'm not endorsing anybody. <laughs> well, it sounds, okay. yes, but it sounds I, like you're pretty darn close, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> uh, and, and Mr. Mr. Speaker, if I, if I could, yeah, is, how is this primary contest affecting uh, members of, of, the, of the House Republican Caucus? Because it's, this is, look, a, a governor has incredible power. Uh, especially when it comes to the, the the state budget and the line item veto, it, it just seems to me that 
that this has put your members in a in a in a very very tough spot. Jim, I would I would beg to differ uh, a little bit. I you know first of all I don't really hear um, a lot of uh, uh, discussion about the primary amongst our caucus members. The to the extent that I do, the conversation is sort of raising some of the questions I've raised this morning uh, as to the, you know, why uh, and and how does this impact us going forward. Uh, I think there is a, um, some concern about that. Um, I haven't polled our caucus. I don't intend to poll the caucus. Uh, you know, I suspect they are fairly uh, overwhelmingly um, you know, supporting Governor Kemp in the in the primary, uh, so um, it's been less of a distraction than you would think, uh, frankly, and and which you know I'm happy for, uh, uh, and 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 I think uh, it it's really been a much um, lower level discussion than I had thought initially it might be. But Mr. Speaker. While there may not be a lot of talk among members about it, certainly the legislation that's being introduced on both sides, uh, the House and the Senate, uh, some of it is a very direct appeal by candidates, GOP primary candidates, to that Trump base. And and I think clearly one of the uh, big, biggest examples of that would be this push that's being made by some members to ban critical race theory. I, I know that you want to talk, you have a very positive agenda, and I do want to give you a chance to talk about it because I think it's important. But, but I also think people would love to hear your take on, say, the banning of critical race theory, which you know, certainly, is, is not taught in Georgia schools. And if it's not being taught in Georgia schools, what is critical race theory really standing in for in terms of discussions of the history of race in this state and country? Well, Bill, you know as well as I do that the fact that something is not an actual problem uh, has never stood in the way of it becoming an issue uh, in this General Assembly. <laughs> and I've dealt with a num- that on a number of occasions. Uh, yeah. um, and uh, I suspect before uh, our, I go back to the mountains, I'll have to deal with it again. You know, here, here, here's here's the way I look at the critical race theory discussion, um, you know, first of all, uh, and I thought, you know, Governor Yunkin in Virginia made a great point the other day. I was watching an interview by him. He said, you know, what people have to understand, first of all, you don't sign up for a class in, in high school or uh, college on critical race theory. I mean, it's not a uh, a, a, a distinct, separate um, uh, class that that uh, a student can take. I think the the important thing about critical race theory is it get, really is tied up into the whole issue of uh, parental control and how much influence. Parents have over their um, 
over their children's uh, uh, education, whether it's curriculum, whether it's uh, books through the obscene books uh, uh, or obscene literature uh, uh, issue that's that's uh, out there. Um, parents have 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 felt like, and this uh, these are parents in rural Georgia, uh, suburban Georgia. Uh, and even I've heard from some in urban Georgia uh, that uh, believe that they have been sort of excluded and 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 now they're no longer welcome uh, uh, into the educational decision making process. So critical race theory's uh, relevance, I think, is is more in terms of being a part of that discussion. Than it is being a standalone issue. If, if, Jim, if that's the ca- if that's the case, Mr. Speaker, how how do you how much how much uh, uh, authority <clears throat> do you give parents uh, in determining the curriculum without it uh, uh, with without it becoming something close to chaos? If 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 you're if you're trying to answer if you've got if you're if you've got two thousand students in a high school. Uh, you've got four thousand parents, or some odd, something close to that. Uh, it, uh, do, do they get veto power? Do, uh, how, 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 do, how does that authority come into in, in, into being within a, a school system? Well, I think you have, first of all, they, they, they need to be heard. Uh, they feel like they're not being heard at all now, uh, and they, uh, they there needs to be uh, some. Um, uh, some guarantees that their uh, views will be not just heard, but uh, considered and become part of the process. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Frankly, if 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 we, Jim, if we don't do something about this, then you're going to have a lot of people who are going to feel that chaos is preferable to uh, a slam door. And um, uh, that's kind of uh, the feeling by a lot of parents now. I mean, look, you know, um, we heard for a year that Virginia was not just purple but blue. Um, and, and, and who was it that elected Glenn Youngkin? It wasn't a huge outpouring of, uh, of, of, of um, uh, you know, rural conservative voters that had followed Donald Trump, it was suburban voters, suburban mothers elected Yunkin governor of Virginia. Uh, these are um, educated, bright people uh, who just want a voice and a place at the table, um, you know, um, uh, in, 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 their, in, their, in their kids' uh, schooling. Are we talking more uh, than Sp- school board elections in, in this sense? Well, I think we're talking about the uh, the, the uh, school board elections, but we're also we are talking about more than that. We're talking about school board meetings. We're talking about uh, the general uh, receptiveness by uh, administrators uh, and professionals in our schools to the views of parents. Um, you know, sometimes people just want to be heard. 
and they want to know that their views count for something, whether they're, uh, uh, you know, whether they're embraced quickly or not, uh, is not so much the uh, issue. Uh, and right now, there's there's there seems to be a growing feeling out there uh, that you know that their views are not welcomed, uh, and their their input is not received, uh, and and I, you know, I think that's a problem. Uh, Mr. Speaker, let me. I want to parse something you said and be sure I didn't mishear it. When I asked you about critical race theory, I thought it was uh, uh, informative that you said that you know this isn't the first time that there's been an issue in search of a problem, but you managed to work into that answer. Uh, the notion, Jan Jones, your uh, Speaker Pro Tem's uh, uh, measure, which would ban so-called obscene materials from schools. And, and I want to make sure I heard that right. It sounds to me like if critical race theory gains momentum at all in the House, you're not going to be terribly supportive of that ban, but that you think the obscene materials uh, uh, measure may be something that you'd like to see uh, the House look at seriously. Well, if that is, uh, in fact, a problem, and I have no reason to question that it is uh, because I have the greatest respect for uh, uh, the Speaker Pro Tem, and I know that she is uh, she's, she's our uh, go-to person on educational issues uh, in the House, and, and I lean on her for that. Uh, and if she tells me we have a problem with obscene uh, books and materials, uh, in our schools and in our libraries, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to believe her. I mean that because uh, uh, I know that she would not. She doesn't uh, shoot from the hip. She doesn't, uh, uh, you know, go off in an intemperate way. She's very measured, and 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 uh, um, so. Um, uh, yeah, I would put that in in, in in a different category for sure. Um, let me add one last question uh, uh, from me, and then, Jim, I want to give it back to you. Uh, I want to talk about another introduction uh, that you uh, made. Uh, uh, mayor Dickens, the new mayor of Atlanta, came to pay a visit to the House, and um, you accorded him great ceremony. You, um, you allowed him or offered him the opportunity to walk down the center aisle greeting your members as he came in, which is typically reserved for governors, Supreme Court justices, whatever. Uh, and you were pretty effusive in your praise for him, saying how important it was that he wants to mend relations with the state, which, of course, had fallen into total disrespair a disrepair under Mayor Bottoms. So let me ask you, I know public safety is one of your biggest issues this session. Do you, were you in any way signaling that you'd like to work with Mayor Dickens to solve the public safety problems that the city of, that Buckhead and other parts of the city have, rather than see a secession movement move forward? Well, I'm not, uh, I haven't reached a, um, uh, a judgment yet on the secession movement. However, I do want to work with uh, Mayor uh, uh, Dickens, uh, whether it's on public safety, whether it's on transportation, uh, you know, whatever the issue may be. Um, you know, I, I think it's important. 
uh, you know, the city of Atlanta is important to the entire state. The entire state is important to the city of Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, when I became speaker in 2010, um, you know, I was reminded of a tradition that apparently had had happened in the past, uh, I think was suspended around 2002 or four to invite the, uh, the the newly elected mayor in and welcome them as we did Mayor Dickens yesterday. Um, and so I thought it was important to reinstate that. We did with um, um, Mayor Reed at that time. We did the same thing for uh, Mayor Bottoms. Um, and then we did the same thing for Mayor Dickens. Uh, you know, uh, let me say this about Mayor Dickens. I, uh, you know, Kasim um, Reed had a lot of, he had spent years, some, some years over here in this building, um, both in the House and in the Senate. He had relationships here. He knew how the process here worked. Um, Mayor Bottoms did not have that same background, and I think that was probably, uh, in terms of the city-state relationship, was was uh, probably detrimental. Um, and Mayor Dickens doesn't have that. But here is the, here is what I get from him. He wants to um, he, he wants to have dialogue. He wants to have a relationship uh, with. Uh, the uh, uh, members of the House and the members of the Senate, and all of the people here at the Capitol, because he gets how important that is. I mean, this guy came to see me before he got elected. Uh, he called me at 7.30 in the morning, the morning after he had been elected. and said, well, you know, why are you calling me? You ought to be on a plane headed for the Caribbean to rest. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, uh, and... Um, but but you know I I, I um, uh, he has he brings great energy he brings great positivity uh, I think he uh, recognizes what the problems are with whether it's with Buckhead City or other uh, areas in 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 Atlanta um, and um, uh, I, you know I'm expecting uh, uh, you know him to be a really great mayor, frankly. Uh, let me Jim. ask you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, Mr. Speaker, if if uh, if you're not ready to say yay or nay on 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 a city of on city of Buckhead legislation, is it worth considering changing um, state law so that only that so that everyone in a, in an entity that's being affected gets a vote? Uh, I think there's 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 a bill that's been introduced to that effect. I mean, under the current current law, uh, uh, only residents of Buckhead would get that would get that vote if it were put up for a referendum, even though it would affect the the city of Atlanta as a whole. Yeah, Jim, I'm open to having that discussion, but I will tell you that uh, my strong inclination is to um, say let's play this issue out. With a set of rules that we started under, um, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm not one to want to change the rules uh, in the middle of the game. 
Um, and um, so um, uh, that that's my inclination right now. We have we had a certain set of rules when we started this discussion. Uh, I think they should play out under that. That may be a conversation worth having at some point. Mm-hmm. Mr. Speaker, I, we've only got a few more minutes with you. I appreciate all the time you've taken already. But 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 I want to talk about a couple aspects, give you a chance to talk about a couple aspects of your agenda. Certainly your desire to expand mental health services is something likely to gain broad bipartisan support um, at a time when we're more fractured than ever in the state and the country. Tell us what you your best outcome would be in terms of expanding mental health services for Georgians. Bill, I have a hard time believing that uh, mental health reform and, and, and innovation <clears throat> in how we deliver mental health uh, mental health care services would be a partisan would would become a partisan issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, if that happens, shame on us. Uh, this is an issue that's not Republican or Democrat. It's not urban, rural, or suburban. It's not uh, black or white. It's not uh, rich or poor. I mean, this cuts across every strata of our society here in Georgia and everywhere. Um, and it's also an issue I feel very passionate about. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about that tomorrow at a. Uh, we're going to have a little announcement tomorrow. Uh, I think that uh, when you see the people who are going to. Um, uh, co-sponsor the uh, a little bill I'm asking them to drop in uh, I think it will become evident that this is a uh, is truly a bipartisan uh, venture and I'm gonna because I, I, I kind of view this as, as something I feel so passionate about I'm gonna uh, you know get my my whip and stay on them and make sure that it continues <laughs> to be well- well, uh, give, give us just a headline. Come on, give us a headline. What are you going to say? What's the headline that you're going to give us for tomorrow? Give it. Give us a preview. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure I'm a good headline writer, or I would write oh, better headlines Speaker. about me. Okay. All right. Let's put it this way. It, this seems, Mr. Speaker, this seems to be... Kind of a, this uh, very much a, a parallel to what what Governor Nathan Deal did and 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 uh, uh, and Doug House uh, Doug Collins uh, did in Washington is I mean part of, a good part of this is what you're you're trying to you're trying to take the, uh, the you're trying to take mental health care uh, out of the out of the hands of, of law enforcement across the state uh, it, 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 it's uh, bogging down jails it's bogging down uh, personnel. Well, law enforcement wants this out of their hands. I mean, I've talked with many, many sheriffs, including my own sheriff in Fannin County, who I have such great respect for. I asked him one day, I said, you know, what percentage of calls coming into your department are really uh, at, 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 at at their basics a mental health call? His guesstimate was over 60%. And then, you know, they, they, they take the person into the jail. person may not have violated the law, 
Well, the jail's not a camp for uh, uh, mental health, uh, you know, uh, problems. Uh, it's a place for people who have violated the law, uh, and oftentimes uh, they have no options then. There's nowhere in the system to put them for treatment. The family has gone as far as they can go uh, in terms of caring for them. Uh, it becomes a real, uh, uh, a real tough issue, and, and uh, so that's only a part of it. But but uh, this is something law enforcement wants this off their plate. Uh, but I mean, we're, we'll talk about this tomorrow. I mean, uh, all the things that are impacted by mental health. You know, every family in Georgia almost uh, has been impacted by this. Um, you know, whether it's uh, the tragedy of a youth suicide, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're losing uh, productivity in our economy. Uh, I mean, so many things are, are bound up in this issue that, uh, uh, it, you know, I, I think it may even be a step up the ladder from criminal justice reform. Uh, and... Um, uh, so uh, to me, it's a, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, there's no more important issue that we can deal with this session than mental health reform. Mr. Speaker, we have kept you a little bit longer than our agreed upon time. And I know you've got a busy day down at the Capitol today. I'm always grateful that you come on the show and share with us uh, your thoughts about the legislative session. I'm glad we ended with mental health, which, as you say, seems to be an issue that perhaps can get more bipartisan support than almost anything else on the calendar for the legislature uh, this year. So thank you so much, David Ralston, for being with us. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jim Galloway, let's you and I try to fill in a few of the blanks here that uh, Speaker David Ralston left for us. We'll do that and a lot more. And again, Mr. Speaker, thanks for being with us, sir. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Jim. We'll be back in a moment. Jim Galloway uh, joins me for the rest of Political Rewind today. Um, after our long conversation with Speaker Ralston. Uh, so, Jim, Speaker Ralston is always very, very good. He's an attorney. He knows how to be careful in what he says and doesn't say. Nevertheless, I think we learned some interesting things from him today, and I want to, you know, run him past you, see if you agree with me. I asked him, was his introduction, his high praise for Brian Kemp at the State of the State speech, was it essentially an endorsement? The speaker said, well, it's, I'm not thinking about endorsements right now. Uh, but I do think he's done a great job for the state. Should David Ralston have gotten, uh, David Perdue gotten into this race, I asked. And he said, well, I'm still trying to figure out why he would have gotten into this race. He wants to unite the party. He's just dividing it more. That's about as close to an endorsement as you're going to get out of a guy like Ralston at this stage in the process. Right, and I think one of the more important things he said in that vein was was that he's he's been under no pressure from 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 members of his House Republican caucus to to uh, to to even to even uh, contemplate uh, the Purdue uh, a Purdue candidacy. 
Uh, and this isn't right. a this isn't a legislature where where Republicans uh, a certain faction of the Republican Party have just created their own uh, freedom caucus, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, in, in 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 line with Trump. And 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 again, yeah, I mean, it's it's asking a lot of any lawmaker, even 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 a Democrat or Republican, to go again to move against the governor overtly. Uh, during a special session, there's just so many ways that uh, that that can uh, that can uh, result in tragedy for for an individual lawmaker. So it's it's. I, I thought it was. Uh, I, you're right. I thought that was an interesting, uh, uh, a, a, an interesting revelation of 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 really solid support for Brian Kemp in the Capitol. There's no, there, I, I'm yeah. not sensing any cra- any crack in that. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Okay, um, we asked him about critical race theory. Uh, we said they don't teach critical race theory in schools here, uh, Mr. Speaker. So why would you want to have a law that bans it? Uh, and if it's not critical race theory, what does it stand for, really? And Ralston said it's not the first time that we've seen an issue in search of a problem, uh, meaning he's not for it. But he expanded on that. And he added to that um, talk, uh, 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 referring to Jan Jones' bill, which would, in fact, outlaw so-called obscene materials for schools. And then when I asked him whether he could support that but not critical race theory, I think you asked him that as well, uh, he said, that's probably the direction I'm headed. That strikes me as one of the um, more interesting uh, news items to come out of our conversation. Yeah, here, here's here's a question for you. How do tell how do you tell the history of Georgia? How do you explain politics in Georgia without uh, addressing the topic of race? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is it's 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 virtually impossible. And I think there's there's some recognition that this is the case. But I thought the way he turned that question. Uh, into he's trying to he says he's trying to address what 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 he thinks is a a a a a feeling of alienation uh, by parents toward their local school systems, uh, and 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 they, that they want to be heard, uh, and beyond. But past that, it gets a little foggy. Now, the, the yeah. problem the problem with 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 banning, as we've seen, just I mean, we've we've got we've got decades of court cases behind us. The problem with banning obscene material or 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 uh, books on this topic or that topic is that they run into a fairly skeptical court system. Uh, and it's hard to write those 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 laws so that they don't they aren't overly broad, and 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 get ta- uh, get tossed out on that on that very that very count. Well, I thought he also painted a rather sanguine picture of a Democratic school board meeting. I mean, D, Democratic with a small D, a lowercase D, mm-hmm. in which parents on both sides of an issue would come together to collegially talk about what books should and should not be in the classrooms. And that raises really two questions. Number one, is our schools and school board meetings really places where democracy ought to operate in the first place? Or, in fact, should educators be the ones who have... A, a, a vast majority of the say in what's taught in the schools. 
Yeah. Uh, well, well. First of all, I, I do believe that school boards are are, are a place where democracy ought to ought to take hold. It's a it's a it's a very fundamental principle. Principle we do elect. But you're school not boards. talking about a debate over what books should be taught or not, are you? No, do you want uh, no, that in no, the hands no. of parents? No, no. But that's something that has to be that has uh, that has to be addressed on a on a campaign right. level. But I will tell you right. that I live in Cobb County, which right now has a very dysfunctional school board. Uh, uh, and and uh, is 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 not operating at uh, uh, as it should uh, because of the political rancor there. Uh, it's 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 it's. I think you know beyond how how a parent would impact uh, a, a school curriculum. I think that's that's a very but you that's a very touchy issue. You, I mean you're you're absolutely right. You know do you. Should you have parents deciding what school, what books are allowed in a school library or not? Uh, mm-hmm. eh, that's you know th- there are parents who I would trust wonderfully with 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 that task. There are, there there are other parents that uh, I would say no way, no way. Um, he cited Virginia Governor Youngkin several times in his campaign, which of course turned on giving parents more. Uh, involvement, more control over some aspects of the state's education system. Um, and, of course, Yankin singled out as an example of obscene materials that were taught in uh, some advanced-level English classes in Virginia, Toni Morrison's novel, Beloved, which is mm-hmm. one, one of the most um, extraordinary novels, of the tw- literally, of the 20th century. Won a, she won a Pulitzer Prize. Um, it has been acclaimed for years. It's a very, very searing look at sl- what happened to enslaved people in a very personal way. Uh, but the notion that that book should be held up, and it will be again in Georgia, no doubt, as an example of a book that ought to be banned, is one that I think most academic uh, academics who specialize in English literature would would fight back against very very hard. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and, and part of me part of me says that the best way to get a, a teenager to read a book is to ban it. Uh, <laughs> but 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 the the the. the the other part of me says that this is this is part of this discussion that we are having in this country about how to more 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 uh, 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 treat race as a as a as a as a very serious and and necessary topic for discussion at, in every platform. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. not maybe not so much in, in in first, second, third grade, but certainly by by the time you're a high school senior, you should be you should be involved in that discussion. Well. Um- I'm going to have to get the final break of the show, and we have a lot more to talk about. Um, but I'm, I really, I'm glad we got to talk to uh, Ralston. I know there are people who listen to Ralston, and they think he's not really uh, giving us the kind of very specific, direct answers we want. But Jim, over the years, you and I have learned that we have to read the signals and, and take away what we can from somebody like that, right? Right, right, and if I tell you what, I, I don't want to. I, I know you're 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 the boss. You're in charge of this program. I sure would like to talk about the Georgia Faith and Freedom meeting uh, near we're the Capitol last to. week. That's exactly Good. what we're going to talk about next, <laughs> Mister Galloway. But as we go to break, I want to say if one of the things that this Georgia uh, legislation legislature might 
uh, take up this session is uh, banning the teaching of materials that make people, students, uncomfortable in some way. I would like to vote for algebra and solid geometry to be on that <laughs> list. This is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Jim Galloway, two notable stories at least came out of Ralph Reed's Faith and Freedom Coalition conference yesterday in downtown Atlanta. First, uh, um, Brian Kemp, David Perdue, others spoke. Um, one of the things that came out of it was that in a very crowded room where the photographs I saw showed virtually no one wearing masks, David Perdue, after leaving that uh, conference, uh, his campaign uh, said he had tested positive for COVID-19 and is now in quarantine. So, number one, it, it'll be interesting to see whether others are, t you know, positive after that uh, uh, event yesterday. But more to the point, Jim, and I think this is what you wanted to get at, was the difference between the reception that Purdue got from this conservative, Christian, important Christian conservative organization led by George's own Ralph Reed, the difference between how they greeted Kemp and how they greeted Purdue. Jim? Yeah, and it, it, it's it just a little bit more background. I mean, Ralph Reed was one of uh, was one of uh, uh, President Donald Trump's just biggest supporters when in, in when it came to when it came, came to keeping evangelicals uh, in 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 his camp, and he was out front very very much out front today introducing Brian Kemp. Uh, and and it, it appears, I would say, that the, the crowd was very much with him. Uh, to me, you've got to take that as a as a signal as a, a a signal that that uh, that that maybe the Trump grip on on Georgia isn't quite as strong as as we might have thought it was, or maybe it's it's weakened over the last couple months as people really really uh, uh, come to understand what that bodes for for the GOP here. Uh, uh, now he did. He did. Uh, he uh, he introduced uh, Ralph. Introduced Kemp, and he introduced uh, uh, Herschel Walker, if I'm not mistaken. That uh, you, you give Herschel, but Herschel also has not just the support of Trump. He has the support of Mitch McConnell, uh, the Senate, yeah. Senate Minority yeah. Leader. So, so that yeah. that that that, uh, that may be a reason there. Uh, Greg Bluestein reported today that um, when Purdue got up to speak and gave his reasons why he thought it was important to take on Brian Kemp in a primary, uh, Bluestein's word for the response was a smattering of applause. That does not bode well uh, for uh, David Purdue, certainly with this crowd. No, look, look, and 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 if you're if you're if you're holding a a, a kind of a, a meeting or a rally or or something like that, uh, in in uh, during the legislative session, you are getting uh, you 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 have an audience of very astute political people. These aren't these aren't these aren't these aren't uh, uh, people. These aren't your average voters. Uh, they understand exactly what this uh, with what this poses. I'm and and and. and uh, David Ralston uh, in in the in the early segment of the show very very much spelled this out that that there is no way that a, a Purdue challenge to Brian Kemp can do any good for for the, the party's uh, effort to stay in control yeah. of, of the state capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought another another reason to uh, say that 
he came, Rawson came very close to just going ahead and endorsing uh, Brian Kemp. What, one of the things about that Kemp-Purdue race, though, Jim, that I'm interested in seeing, and maybe the Faith and Freedom Coalition in some ways gave us the first signal of this, is it, it's certainly not surprising to hear Republican, prominent Republicans who have said, why is David Perdue breaking up the party? Kemp has done a good job. Um, but what we're not hearing from, and, and that would lead us perhaps to believe momentum is moving in Brian Kemp's direction. But there's that vast, vast contingency of, bait of Republicans who are, could remain pro-Trump, the voters out there, and their voices are not heard uh, as the stories are told very often in the news cycle. Yeah, and this is this is you know this, this is even even if even if uh, the, the Purdue challenge uh, wanes and and you, you you got you got he's he's campaigning by under quarantine right now via video. Remember that this is what this is exactly what happened to him in the final weeks of the of mm-hmm. of, of the general election campaign last yep. last year. So yep, so exactly. so there there's there, there's that, but even if just the mere presence of Purdue pulls Brian Kemp over to the over to the over to the right, it keeps him from addressing those suburban uh, uh, female voters that 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 uh, Speaker Ralston uh, uh, talked about, mm. and there, there was there was uh, it, it was it was very interesting that one of the one of the more extended uh, compliments that Ralph Reed gave Brian Kemp was. That he did that that the governor had not moved toward the middle, that he had yeah. that he had stuck to the right. So and and when you do that, uh, you you do give Stacey Abrams uh, uh, on the Democratic side some some maneuvering. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Space. Um, let's not completely forget about Herschel Walker's moment, um, because as you pointed out. Uh, uh, Ralph Reed introduced Herschel Walker, sat with her, Herschel Walker, mm-hmm. and after apparently, again, according to Bluestein's reporting, right after Gary Black, who was trying to find some way to be competitive with Herschel Walker in that Senate race, gave his speech, Ralph Reed introduced Herschel Walker, which comes as close to an endorsement as you could ask for in that race as well. Right, right. And that's, and, and that's, now that's, that's going to be, there are, there are three really divisive races going on on the Republican right side, on, on the Republican side. Uh, of course, you got the governor's race. That's probably the most important. The secondary is 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 the Herschel Washer, Walker uh, 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 contest, which has, you know, you've got three other very good, very qualified uh, Republican candidates in that uh, contest, in, uh, two in addition to, to, to Gary Black. Uh, and uh, and you have, then you have the Secretary of State's office. Uh, uh, the the you have Brad Raffensperger trying to hold on to his office, uh, hold hold on to his job when you've got, uh, but you've got uh, Jody Heiss with Trump's endorsement looming out there. Um, yeah. By the way, we're hearing that uh, there have been reports lately that Democrats have started shifting some of their fundraising to uh, Secretary of State races in a number of uh, states, uh, because in fact, they see that's going to be a crucial battleground. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, weigh in on the, on the Georgia race. And I really don't know the information yet on, on what we're likely to see from national democratic organizations giving money to a Democrat who, is, uh, who ends up getting the nomination. In, no, in, and it's, it's yeah, and it's, 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 uh, it is, it's, it is, 
uh, it's it's a little bit uncertain about what what the what the situation in Georgia would be because last year's uh, changes to the Georgia election law stripped uh, the Secretary of State of a lot of authority uh, mm-hmm. that that that, yeah. that he has that he has over elections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's turn to Newt Gingrich, former Georgian. Uh, of course, he was on Fox News over the weekend, and uh, he had a warning for uh, the Democrats, especially the Democrats on the January 6th uh, committee. Uh, He said this, you're going to have a Republican majority in the House and a Republican majority in the Senate, and all of these people who have been so tough and so mean and so nasty are going to be delivered subpoenas. He added that lawmakers are just running over the law on that commission, that committee. And I think when you have a Republican Congress, he said, this is all going to come crashing down and the wolves are going to find out they are now sheep. And they are the ones who are going to face a real risk, I think, of jail for the kind of laws they are breaking. I'm not aware of any law that's being broken by the House uh, Commission on January 6th. No. And and I will tell you what, if, when you when you when you have worries about the state of our democracy, uh, with a small d, uh, this mm-hmm. is this is one of those moments uh, because this is you've seen this this in other countries that have been drifting toward that the drift toward autocracy, and and that is when when the jailing of one's political opponents becomes uh, uh, commonplace or at least a common topic. Uh, that 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 poses a just, just uh, that puts a strain, a great strain on, on on the democratic process. Well, and we have another story in the news over the last couple of days. The FBI arrested a Texas man Friday, alleging alleging he threatened to shoot and kill Georgia election officials on the day before the riot at the U.S. Capitol. It's the first criminal case brought by the new U.S. Justice Department task force aimed at cracking down on threats of violence against election workers. Uh, the guy's name is Chad Stark. He wrote on Craigslist, "It's time our duty as American patriots put an end to the lives of these traitors and take back our country uh, by force." They withheld the names of the actual election workers who he was planning to target. But boy, there's another disturbing uh, uh, incident to talk about. Right, and it but but it but it does it it does answer one question, and that is on. Uh, on on January sixth, you had a real step up, or after uh, on the seventh and such, you had a very big uh, increase in in uh, uh, security around our state ca- capital in Atlanta, with mm-hmm. with many 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 officers uh, toting long guns, something you didn't yes, see but, uh, in any other, other exactly. situation. Exactly. But we also have the fencing that caused so much controversy when it was mm-hmm. announced that it was going to go up. I mean, we, maybe we should be thinking about whether it turns out to be important or not. We are out of time, Jim Galloway, a packed show. And I'm really glad you could be here to share it with me, Mr. Galloway. Um, we're going to be back with you, of course, again for another Political Rewind tomorrow. In the meantime, thank you, Jesse Neiswanger, Sam Burmistaz, Natalie Mendenhall, for all of your work on a Political Rewind. And thank you all out there, as always, for listening to our show. So until I see you tomorrow, take care. Please stay healthy. Yes, wear your mask. Omicron is still out there and raging. And go get that booster shot and maybe figure out how to pick up one of those free N95 masks the federal government is sending out. See you all tomorrow.